We Have Issues is a weekly podcast full of reviews of comics and oversharing. We use grown-up language to make very childish jokes. You can find the show at wehaveissues.net, as well as anywhere else where average to not too bad podcasts can be found. Hello, listener, and welcome to We Have Issues, episode 125. This will be the proper one. Um, I'm not going to do a long preamble on this one. I did a, 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 a proper preamble about why there hasn't been an episode for a really long time and um, and and why this one is such a weird uh, confection uh, in the uh, episode 125. Uh, what do I want to call it? Supplemental? Preamble? It'll be coming out before this one. Um but to recap very, very quickly, we didn't do an episode for a really long time. Um, David Wynn, who is a friend of the show and contributor to the show, um, joined me before Christmas in 2017. So over a month ago now, uh, at a time before, I believe before um, Logan, uh, the movie, uh, one of the, the the only really good superhero movies of last year, um, uh, had been nominated for awards before uh, Jay uh, Edidin of uh, Jay and Miles Explain the X-Men and various other things had done their amazing TED Talk and been um, uh, named Comic Person of the Year or something in in uh, the only award thing or list that was really worth paying any attention to last year, I'm guessing. I don't know. I, I really just know that Jay deserved it. I'm not entirely sure what the award... It was or what the selection criteria for it was or anything but anyway this was recorded way back then a lot might have changed since then i'm sure david has read lots of comics he's loved since since this conversation i have read at least one comic i loved since this uh, it was uh, called um the city inside you or something like that by um tilly walden it was one of two comics I got for Christmas that I that I really I I love her work. Uh, but this one I can't I can't I think it's called The City Inside and it's it's more it's more really a tone poem in comic form. Uh, to be honest, it's like a really nice little book, but it's it's fairly insubstantial in terms of um in terms of actual narrative. Uh, and I suspect it was like a decent price. I don't know because it was a present. So um, so I couldn't speak to the value for money of it, but it was beautiful and I'm very glad I have it. It's a lovely comic artifact. Tilly Walden is amazing. Now I'm worried that I've got her name wrong. Well, anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, loads of people talking sense about comics um, online at the moment. None of them um, come under the uh, diversity in comics header uh, or comics gate or anything. I have decided uh, that I am going to be really, really preemptive with the mute button on Twitter. And I'm going to, I think 2018 is going to be the year of the mute button, especially when it comes to conversations about comics. So, um, I mean, maybe we can just tune these fuckers out. I don't, I don't know. I can't be asked with them. It's the same delusional, like if you spent any time watching the alt-right, over the last couple of years or any of the 4chan red pill chugging fuckwits um, who were involved with Gamergate and stuff like that. It's the exact same tactics, the same rhetoric, 
the same like trying to derail conversations and then claiming a logical win or whatever. Actually, that's interesting. I read an article, I think it was in the New Yorker. I might put it in the show notes. There'll be show notes at wehaveissues.net for this episode. And um, I read an article that made a lot of sense to me in the New Yorker about um, about uh, research on psychology and sociology that suggests that we develop reasoning not as a way of trying to make sense of the world around us, but as a way of navigating through um, like social settings as we became a hyper-social species and started worrying about people getting one over on us and uh, and worrying about our position in society, that might be when we develop reason. So whenever these people they come in with the, oh, I am being the logical one, you are not taking a logical position, and then they don't actually fucking say anything, but they keep banging on about how they're the logical one and they won on logic and blah, 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 without actually presenting any information that's just all about derail, derail, derail. Um, there might be an evolutionary psychology explanation for that, and it, there might be a reason why they think they're being logical, or they're using higher reasoning and why they keep talking about that um, but aren't actually bringing any clarity to anything. They're just making things more confusing and, and just basically trying to win arguments. It's, it's definitely been my experience of people who actually refer to themselves as skeptics rather than just being skeptical, which, you know, we, we used to be fine for it. We used to – we, people – used to be fine with like being atheists and it's just how you felt about things and uh, being just generally skeptical without actually having to use it as any sort of a label that you could uh, you could um, stick on a fucking t-shirt or something I, you know I feel like 2018's already got its hooks into me I'm trying to be positive but it isn't that easy but I mean I guess at least now we're starting to realise that treating women and men, actually, but just treating people like our own sex objects and stuff like that isn't okay. It should have been obvious, but we seem to be reaching some sort of reckoning point about that. I don't know. Um, maybe we're getting a bit smarter about other things. Black Lightning was really good um, as a first episode. It's really, it really doesn't, for a minute, it seems like it's going to like take a both side stance about current uh, the current sociopolitics and then it, it really doesn't which is pretty cool and sometimes it's a bit cheesy and stuff but also it's really cool um, yeah I don't know I think in this episode David talks about a whole bunch of stuff um, that's all really good I'll put a list of it in the show notes uh, so that you uh, it won't have show timings but so that you can um, like if you feel like you missed something or whatever, you can find it there in the show notes. As I said, that's at wehaveissues.net. You can find me on Twitter at Nick's site. You can find David on Twitter at, I believe, still David Wynn, um, although he's trying to use Twitter in, in a slightly different way at the moment, I think. And, um, and here's me and David talking about comics. And I'll speak to you at the end. Um, Shall we talk about comics? Yes, because you've read a couple... And I and, and and everybody's I've, job at the moment is to try and convince me to start reading comics again. <laughs> Basically, I've read quite a lot of comics lately. Um, I, so I'm sort of looking. I mean, one of the things I am reading at the moment is uh, Garth Ennis and Goran Parlov's current Punisher series. Uh, Pun- uh, but we talked about that last time, actually. All right. Is that, that is yeah so yeah. 
set in Vietnam. It's his first yeah. tour in Vietnam. It's, um, uh, what else have I been reading? So, I've been reading Jason Aaron's Thor. I'm, oh, yeah. I'm two issues away from being fully up to date with that. I've been... I um, I like it. I'm... I, I, I have to be honest, I don't like the the stuff after Jane Foster takes over as much as the stuff before. I just don't. It just doesn't connect for me in the same way. I don't find the story as interesting. Um, every time but, I've tuned into it, it, it felt like um, every every time I've tuned into it, aside from those first few issues where it was a mystery who she was, mm. and it was very much about showing what this character was capable of, you know, setting your yeah. mind at rest that she was still a good in a fight and that she was like, it was going to sometimes be a bit funny and stuff like that. Um, I read the first few and it was a perfectly fine superhero, like action-y superhero comic. It was an interesting, interesting direction to take it in. Every time I've tried to tune into it since, it seems like he's doing everything to keep her... She's hardly in it, in the ones I've seen. <laughs> like the um, most recent one, I I, I I read one of them recently and I... It was just a big fight scene between, um, I think the art was beautiful, but it was a big fight scene between Volstagg and, there's more than one Thor, isn't there, basically? Yeah, there is now, yeah, or it's certainly in the issues I'm, in the issue I'm currently reading, which is three issues ago. Um, I mean, the, the thing that it's been, I mean, she's, she is in it quite a lot, like, to be Mm. fair, like, yes, there are certain issues where she's not, but the, the main thing is that, um, it really feels like he's, really trying to I mean this is pure conjecture on my part but what it mm-hmm. feels like is Jason Aaron had a story he wanted to tell and he started mm-hmm. telling that story and then he got part way through and then got told right uh, your lead is leaving and you're replacing them and right. and he's still valiantly trying to tell the same story but with a different central character Right, I that's see. how it feels, and and it's kind of derailed it, and it's changed what it's about, and he's try and it really, yeah, it feels like someone pushing against an editorial problem, you know, um, mm. and and doing what they can to bring it back on track, and it gets better as the further we get from the editorial mandate. And back into the story he's trying to tell, the better it works again, and the, and the more I am enjoying it again. But it really, it does feel like it just got a, a big whack in the side that knocked it off course because because it had been going for quite a while, <laughs> like the story had been, yeah. you know, and it's still the same story, it's still the same villains, it's still the same overarching plot, but the stakes have changed completely because the main character, you know, all the all the emotional investment. That the 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 hero had been putting into this arc, that the hero's not there anymore, and there's somebody else yeah. now fighting these battles, and it kind of it it sucks the air out of the story. It's it's a shame, but um, and it doesn't yeah. it doesn't really do the new version. It doesn't really do her version of the character any favors because the other the other guy is still... laid all the groundwork. Okay. And he's still around. Well, yeah, and but he's still around, yeah. isn't he? And that, that's that's the other thing. The, the I mean, it's interesting hearing that from someone who's actually been paying attention. I have trouble keeping track. It'll, 
Like I I stopped reading Ms. I stopped reading Ms. Marvel and okay. Squirrel Girl because I have trouble with reboot or new number ones okay. and they they confuse me anyway. So um but just tuning into it it feels kind of like maybe there were like that it was supposed to be a big deal that there was going to be a new thor um and it was going to be a woman and then every time i tune into it there just seem to be loads of thors so it's like well cuz he has so it's not even that big a deal that that she's a woman because there's loads of well, them they... But no, I think that's a fair reading on a on some levels because one of the things is there has to be some explanation for how there can be more than because like if there's one character you know that is not a legacy character it's Thor because it's yeah. literally his name it's not <laughs> do you know what I mean it's not a, there aren't many superheroes where it is literally where their superhero name is literally their name, their, their name. first name. Yeah, exactly. Are, yeah, yeah. The, um, you know, so so it is kind. Of, so there kind of has to then be built in a sort of cosmology that kind of explains that and makes it okay, uh, and makes it work or makes some kind of sense. And and he's he's doing his best. He really is. But it's mm. yeah, and and it also. You know what? It also really doesn't help as well that it's all happened. You know, it all happens off the back of like literally six issues before, or not even six. Like literally just before that, there were stories about Thor in the future, and he's Thor. Yeah. You know, like so. So we know we know right off the bat that it's temporary. Like in story, there is no question that it's temporary. It has to be temporary. The story doesn't mm. work if it's not, you know. Like so, yeah. It, it, but that said, it is a good rip roaring yarn. Like it is. I do like if you know. I picked it all up in Comicsology sales, and it's and I am glad. I am enjoying it. So I've been reading that. Um, a Kaiju Max. I'm reading a lot of Kaiju Max. I'm, I'm up to date with Kaiju Max. Oh, what's that? That's, uh, that's uh, a Kaiju prison. A maximum security Kaiju right. prison. Uh, it's an island uh, somewhere mm. in the Pacific, I think. And and um, the guards are all Ultramen. And, uh, you know, they're, they're, you've got the factions, you've got the the the... the Sort of the the kaiju kaiju the the Japanese style kaiju and then you've got the uh, you know the uh, they, they, they all stick together with you know and the, but then you've also got like the brotherhood of, of cryptids who are like your North American ones who and they're quite sort of hardcore a bit racist <laughs> against the uh, against the non cryptids and um, and uh, you know they they call call each other Mon and Mizilla and things and uh, who's um. Who's making it's that? It's Xander Cannon. Um, right. And it's, it is really, really good. It walks this line of like, it, there, it really, it, it, there are times when it comes right up to the edge of being like, I, this is actually, no, this doesn't work. <laughs> but it never quite mm. falls over. And it's, it is really, um, really good. Xander Cannon's good. Yes. Yeah. Right. But the, um, 
listening to that it's weird that i'm so cynical about stuff because really it's quite a time to be alive <laughs> for like comics and films isn't it i the, you saying kaiju just instantly made me think that it is weird to me that that people complain so much about pacific rim oh, when it's when it's literally giant monsters beating up giant robots and being beat like and and we we get to have literally anything we could have ever dreamed of i now. love pacific rim i think it's fantastic <laughs> yeah I, yeah i think it's great so but anyway so yeah okay kaiju max that's cool that sounds I'm, good I'm, li- I'm looking through my recently purchased on comicsology by the way this is one so you know uh all right okay so meandering that's black, fine black magic uh, greg rucker and nicholas scott have you been reading that Oh, no, oh. I loved the first couple of issues. I need to, I need to tune back it's, into that. I get, you know, honestly, I get a bit weirded out by um, that version of witches, and it seems to be the prevailing version of witches where they're actually magical beings who have. No, they're not. Like, not in. They're not oh, in black not? magic. Uh, there's re- there's some reincarnation involved, but they're in black magic. They're they're pagans. They're Wiccans. The witches. All oh, right. They're, okay. They're witchy witches. Proper witches. I know it sounds weird saying that after we spent so long talking about um, Harrow County, but it's just, I I remember seeing it first in The Craft, and up till that point I thought, well, aren't witches just people Learned who magic. decided they were going to be witches? Yeah, like, I've always <laughs> found it really weird. Like, there's that Snyder and Jock book about witches, isn't there? And I've not I've yeah. not read that, because I, as soon as I heard the premise of like, oh, you mean they're, they're like fairy creatures that live in the... No, I'm not reading that. That's Those aren't witches. Like, yeah. I know witches. I, I Facebook friends with witches. Like, <laughs> but that's it. That's it. That seems to be the version in fiction, yeah. and it always kind of. It's not about authenticity so much as it just doesn't fit. But I guess that's ridiculous because they are a, they are their own group of people in like the Wizard of Oz and I stuff like so. that. But it's just, yeah. it's very odd. You mean someone can't just choose to be one? It's very strange. But yeah, okay, so. Um, that's on issue so nine. Now. Black Magic. That's on issue nine now, and you should read that. I know your love of Greg Rucker. It's really good. I, I think it might be the best thing he's doing at the moment. Uh, Kip, has it been coming out quite slowly? Well, as well, they took a break to do Wonder Woman together. All oh, right. Uh, Kill or be killed. Ed Brubaker, Sean Phillips. Um, I don't know if you like their stuff or not. If you like, but if you like Criminal, I have done that one. I wasn't sure about because, and I think we've talked about it that the. Um, it really leans into, or maybe it's the first time I've really been super aware of that they they tend to have the same sort of protagonist. And oh yeah, yeah. It's it, it's quite indulgent, isn't oh, it? But um, it's the it's the most but, Brubaker and Phillipsy Brubaker and Phillips comic I've I, I yeah. think Brubaker and Phillips have ever done. Like it's it's, but if you like, so so it's very much like if you like it, you'll like it. If you know, <laughs> if you you know, it's it's a bit like um. Uh, this is a weird comparison, but the Prophets of Rage album, I don't know if you know what that is. Uh, Chuck D from Public Enemy, Be Real from Cypress oh, Hill, yeah. and the band from Rage Against the Machine have put out an album together, and it sounds exactly, exactly like what you think that would sound like. And Everybody gets to be a super group yeah. now if they want to. That's pretty yeah. cool as well. But like, if, that, if you like those three parts, you'll love it, and if you don't, you'll you know, if you have any doubts about any of those, it probably won't work. But you know, I love it. So, like, and I love it. So, I really like Killer Be Killed. It's on that level. It's like it's just serving that that desire in me. Um, I still need to finish the Hollywood one because that was brilliant. I read two or three of those. They're old Hollywood yeah, story. The what was that called? Um, yeah, I, 
the first few issues of it were brilliant, I thought. Yeah, I thought it started really well. By the end, I have to be honest, I was mainly reading it for the colouring. Um, right. And the same colourist is on Kill or Be Killed, by the way, uh, Betty Brightweiser. You love you love her I work. Um, yeah. I, the, the thing with the fade-out was it kind of, after a certain point, it was very clear how it was going to end, and it did, and it just followed that. So then it was almost it felt a bit going through the motions in the last act, to be honest. But right. but I don't know. Um and then so then the, and then there's the two comics I was gonna I I told you in Twitter DMs that I wanted to talk about mm-hmm. now, fifty minutes into us recording and It's cool. Um, yeah. Um so there's uh the the shorter one, which I got yesterday or on Wednesday and read yesterday, which is uh, Batman Creature of the Night by Kurt Busiek and uh, John Paul Leon. Uh, which, uh, do you know anything about that? I know that it's um, a thematic sequel to the Superman, the real world Superman Secret story identities. they did a few years ago, isn't it? It is indeed. Um, is it a one shot or? It's a, it's, a, it's a series, it's a mini series. I don't know how many right. issues it's going to be. Um, but, that said, like the issue is like forty-eight pages, and it looked pretty beefy. Definitely, I saw it. Yeah, it's um, it's it's a chunk of comic, and it's oh, it's so good, Nick. It's really, really good. It's what's it about? It's about a little boy called Bruce Wainwright, who uh-huh. <laughs> who lives in the real world. Like it really is a thematic sequel sequel to Secret Identities. Mm. I've not, I've got Secret Identities. I haven't read past like the first 20 pages um it's one of those i've always meant to read properly um was that sort of biographic autobiographical as well though am i getting confused secret identities seemed like a really personal work when that happened i, I think it probably i think not. it probably was i don't know i i can't speak to it too much because i don't i don't know but like um mm-hmm. uh the thing with kurt music he really sort of i mean if you read much astro city yeah, I read um again that's another one where when it was him and Brent Anderson in the first run, I think I read it pretty religiously yeah. and I might have even followed it to image, but once it started chopping and changing around where it was coming out and stuff, I just lost track. And once I lose track, I'm you, like you lost, aren't you? It's done. Yeah. yeah I'm I'm well, I've not read any of the the recent Vertigo run which has been going for like 3 or 4 years now, but um mm-hmm. But like I've read all, everything up to that point, and but that often sort of felt very personal, even though it wasn't necessarily autobiographical. But like you could really feel like mm-hmm. he was saying things he really felt strongly about. So I, I, I feel like it. That's a thing Kurt Busiek does: is he explores mm-hmm. personal things through superhero stuff. And I this felt very Astro City when I was reading it. Of like, mm-hmm. but it's it's set in the real world. It's about a boy called Bruce Wainwright. A part of it is told from the point of view of of his other his his uncle um, Alton Frederick, uh, whatever his surname is, who he calls him Uncle Alfred, and then just calls him mm-hmm. Alfred, and um, and uh, you know, spoilers, but, uh, but it happens like very early on in the issue. Uh, Bruce's mm-hmm. parents are murdered, um, mm-hmm. and then there's like a supernatural element that does come into it. Oh, right. um, okay. Although it's not a hundred percent clear, like 
I mean, I think it is a, a supernatural element. I don't think it is all in his head, but the way it's played, it could go either way. Um, right. But um, but then that's the case of Secret Identities, isn't it? It's a, a guy in the real world whose real name is Clark Kent, but who has grown up reading superhero comics, but then he has the powers of Superman. That's the story, isn't it? I don't know. I never read oh, it. Is that the that story? Is, that's awesome. Yeah, that is, as far as... That I'm ninety percent sure that is the story. So he is called Clark Kent, and I think he does even have a girlfriend called Lois Lane. But I have to scratch that. I've got. I think I was going to put my short story about a guy called Clark Kent oh. uh, into my short story collection. But now that someone's actually done that, I might have to. Well, you've got millions of stories, haven't you? So you can. Yeah, that's true. But um, <laughs> yeah, that's well, that's a shame. But um, but also it shows you you're you're a genius in the same league as Kurt Busiek. So, yeah, that's that feels pretty good. <laughs> but so, uh, yeah, the the I mean, the main thing that I'd be like, it's really well written. Is like he's a good writer, I think. He's very much in that um, sort of eighties uh, intelligent comics vein. But but mm. he's he's just on that cusp of he doesn't he isn't too wordy. You know, that's the thing. Always when right. you talk about those eighties writers of like. They're generally a little bit too wordy, and he doesn't. He, he doesn't do that. He's, he's just enough. But do you know, in a in a lot of ways, thinking about that right now, and he did Marvels as well with Alex he Ross. Did. And in some ways, he's because I've been for you know for no particular reason. I've been thinking a lot about uh, what what Watchmen actually did the comics afterwards and why it might be a bit weird to try and revisit mm. it now and bring it into um a, a a universe when it was a comment on that that universe kind yeah. of um i don't i don't know why i'm thinking about how weird it would be to do that <laughs> right now but like the the it's it's really easy to see and i know we talked about this before but it's really easy to see um pretty much uh, any real shift that's happened since in superhero comics specifically or mainstream comics specifically post Watchmen to mainly just be sort of um, uh, an extrapolation or an evolution of what happened with Watchmen rather than innovating that much yeah. in itself because deconstructing comics in that particular political way is... Like Warren Ellis comes along and does his version of it and and whatever, but it it it's Alan Moore was and and Watchmen was the the first really big version of that, wasn't it? And it's in a lot of ways things haven't moved on that much since Watchmen. Yeah. You can see that as as the last big point where things change. We're still deconstructing actually, now, yeah, yeah. But actually, Kurt Busiek with Marvels is. And and the pro- the problem is a lot of the stuff that a lot of the stuff that's happened because of Watchmen, it, and it's what people talk about a lot that that's when uh, the lesson learned was that comics needed to be darker and stuff like that. But at the same time, um, Kurt Busiek with Marvels that that innovated a lot. It wasn't just that it looked like Alex Ross. It was you're right. It's like it was looking at comics in a very personal, a, a very sort of nostalgic and gentle way, which just wasn't. And like it's as reflective, really, as Alan Moore on Watchmen, but in a completely different direction, really. That still no one else has 
you know, no one else had really done properly at that particular point. Well, because the whole thing about Marvels was that um, he was at, at the same time as Alan Moore was trying to, and a lot of other writers were trying to go, well, how would real world politics and history fit into this? How would these characters fit in to history? Um, uh, and into our world, Kurt Busiek was sort of doing, like, well, how would normal humans react in their world? In in their world, sort of thing, which which doesn't doesn't feel post Watchmen at all in the way that. No, I know, and I, I think there's also, yeah, I think you, that's pretty, yeah, that's right. I think, I, but I think also there's just the thing of the you know Watchmen and a lot of those deconstructionist superhero comics, and 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 also even just even the ones that weren't even deconstructionists that were just grim and gritty, you know, the the thing they were looking at was, yeah, well, what's wrong with these? Like, superheroes, oh, we've got all these superheroes and we've got all these years of stories about superheroes, but, but what is, you know, uh, looking at all the things that are actually bad about them. Whereas, mm. I think music is very much coming from the point of view of, like, why do we care about these so much? Like what? What is it that it's the which is the Grant Morrison angle as well of like yeah. what what's good about them? Like why you know? So it's instead of deconstructing them to for the sake of you know working out you know what's the unhealthy thing here? It's deconstructing them from the sake of, for the from the point of view of saying yeah, but what is it that they give us that we need that's good? Like it's a. a an inherently more sort of optimistic and more humanist approach to it, I think. Yeah, yeah, and I think actually you're right that um, bringing up Grant Morrison does kind of put lie to the idea because his run on JLA, well, Animal Animal Man was Animal Man was basically uh, trying to, well, not trying to, it was basically doing something quite similar to what um, it, it fits. It fits with that paradigm mm. of. Putting a superhero in our world, I, I think, doesn't it? I think really? Animal Man was sort of the story where Grant Morrison worked out that was what he wanted to do. I think because because like mm. if you look at all of his stuff up until that point, like which I mean, which there isn't loads, but like you know his uh, you know Zenith is very Zenith is much more in the yeah these are a bit shit or, or a bit weird, yeah. aren't they? They're a bit bit kinky but it's very yeah, cynical yes, yeah cynical that's aren't the they, word isn't it funny yeah. really um yeah. and animal man sort of starts cynical and starts sort of nihilist and then and then by the end isn't like it, it and and mm. it's you know where and he sort of turns up and says as much part way like at the end himself doesn't he of like yeah. that he changed how he felt about it and changed what it meant and and i think um and you can kind of see that change in his outlook in his work after that. But I think the thing with Busiek is he is he does it in a way that is. Um, I think there's a lot to be said for the fact that his work fits. Um, I'm I'm trying to work out how to phrase this, like because Grant Morrison has done some very populist, very mainstream stuff, like his JLA, and it doesn't mm. lots of stuff that's very mainstream, but. Um, but you always know when you're reading his stuff of that. Well, there's big ideas here and all that. Whereas, whereas yeah. um, Busiek sneaks them past you. You know, like he he just tells you a good old superhero comic, and then at the end you're like, hmm, <laughs> you feel different. Yeah, I think. Well, and I think 
Yeah, I think you're the. It's interesting because you're right. They're they're both looking at comics. They're both looking at superhero comics and thinking, well, what what is good about this? Why do why do they work? Why do why do they resonate with us so much? But they've pulled in completely opposite directions. Like, um, it's like Grant Morrison's looked at Kirby and and stuff like that, and he's thinking it's the ideas. It's the it's a new mythology, mm. and and as such anything can happen and he's thinking in terms of the pantheon and he's still really talking about the character the superheroes themselves and the and the myths and all of that stuff whereas Kurt Busiek is like literally it's about people it's about people and it's about it's about what these things um yeah what they mean to yeah what they mean to us how they inspire us whereas like and Grant Morrison kind of has similar he understands that stuff but in one of his comics, the way that comes out, and again, it's I'm, I'm going straight back to JLA, the way it comes out in one of his comics is that everyone on the planet gets to be a superhero. Yeah. Like, that's... That any one of us can be that character, whereas Kurt Be- can be that... that The the godhead is within a, each of yeah. us or whatever. I don't know. Whereas whereas that's not what you get from Kurt Busiek at all. It's like that it's something for us to... Um, aspire to or well, I don't know but so anyway so it's very much that it's okay to be you know it's okay to be a, a garbage man and uh, and look yeah. up at the Samaritan flying through the sky and and feel a connection to that but like that that it's you know it's, yeah he, he's he there's there's a he brings an ordinariness and a one and a, like a magic to order ordinariness I think there's, there's yeah, I'm. I'm. I don't know. Like, I think he's really good. <laughs> but so, mm. and John Paul Leon's yeah, amazing as well. Amazing. Like, yeah. um, Secret Identities was drawn by Stuart Immonen, and so obviously that's oh, gorgeous. Yeah. I'm. I'm da- literally downloading it to my Kindle now because of us talking about. It. I'm like, no, I do. I should read that. Um, but um, yeah, the John Paul Leon is incredible. Like, he he's um, drawn quite a lot of Mother Panic. Um, so I've I've. Mm kind of been getting a, a nice sort of regular dose of John Paul Leon lately anyway um, I bought his first comic you know like as well, I say make that sound as if I was the only one um, you know he mm. he was the original was artist it? on Static in Milestone the Milestone comic oh yeah. yeah it's just got a really like was his style more um, loose and ca- cartoony yeah, much then more, because yeah. it's Although he's got a really bold line and it's very sort of illustrative, it is the figures are very, I wouldn't say photorealistic, but they're, it, it's um, it seems like the characters are all the proportions are, are yeah. right and stuff like that. I'm not sure I'm explaining it very well, but you know what I mean. I think, don't you? It's very grounded now. He, his style, he even though in that, the yeah. way he renders is crazy. Well, he's one of those artists like. He, um, his technique, like, there's part of me that, or, yeah, there's a part of me that kind of wants to work the way that I think he must work, um, and that it's the same way that Sean Phillips I think works. Of, um, and it's it's a thing that I don't know how obviously recognisable it is if you're not an artist or, or whatever. But um, I don't have the patience to do it. But he, I, I am reasonably certain that like 99% of what he draws is from photo reference is di- directly from photo reference right. 
but he's not a photorealist. So, um, mm. so he does. So it has the realism and the groundedness that you get from working from photo ref- reference. But because he has a very uh, um, sort of stylistic, you know, arty style, very you know, very clearly drawn style like you can see brush strokes and you can see pen marks and 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 he's very happy to just sort of dry brush in stuff and and leave smudges and uh and the the juxtaposition of those things so everything is perfectly proportioned and everything is um you know the perspective's always impeccable and 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 like there's a there's a wheelchair in one panel of the of this Batman comic that I stared at for ages because he literally just draws the outline of it, but it's perfect because it's it's a real it's clearly a real wheelchair drawn from a photograph, so mm. so everything is correct and in the right place. So the fact that he's just drawn the outline of it is enough because all the information in the first place is correct, and um yeah, and it's a it's just a really effective like technique and and i think as i say it's it's i i'm 90 percent certain it's what sean phillips does as well like i know he uses a lot of photo ref because from following him on twitter but i knew that anyway from looking at his work and i don't think i think in both cases i think if you were to say to people oh they're very photo ref heavy artists um what what we think of when we use that sort of term is we think of like a, a brian hitch or or you know, fucking Greg Land, like, but mm. but those they also have a very photorealistic uh, drawing style, but that's not the same thing. Like the photo reference doesn't require you to do that. And I, yeah, I think I think he's amazing, and and he colours himself on on this Creatures of the Night as well, and his use of uh, use of colour for shadows, and it's really good. It's really like that. It's a great story, but it's worth getting just to read and look at. Like it's an absolute masterclass from an artistic point of view. You um, you talking about him has made me uh, made me want to leaf through uh some of the. I've got a bunch of role playing okay. uh, role playing books that I got into the habit of picking up at some point. I think. Um, at some point, I think maybe I thought that I, I, I don't, I don't have it in me to run games to run because they're the sorts of games that are more storytelling. There's not an awful lot of dice rolls or rule like, like hard mechanics. It's the World of Darkness stuff, for example, the va- vampire and stuff like that. And I used to play it as a player, but I started. I got into the habit of buying these books, and then I started getting really addicted to it because they're basically right. world bibles you know but i'm pretty sure behind me um at least a couple of them have loads of john paul leon art in them it's either him or john van fleet or maybe both and i can't remember which and some old becky clunan actually which is another reason why i want to look through them but um what what did you yeah he's he's just i think that's the thing well i've got um so it's basically it's the the world of darkness okay. the white wolf um white wolf books so um it, i think it started with vampire the masquerade and i got into it because there was a card game but also here in southampton okay. there was a live role play um, thing um and 
it ran in the pub. It ran in the pub I always used to go into, and a friend of mine used to run the bar downstairs where they did it. So I used to I drew up a character so I could spend <laughs> I, time I, drinking. I know someone else who was into Vampire the Masquerade, but um, I I, w- I was uh, like, which book do I need to get? Like, if, if there's, I will I will look through them and see because I might be completely wrong. Mm. I've got a bunch of art books behind me. I yeah. just know I've got something with. Uh, I'm pretty sure I've got something with John Paul Leon. My my concern now is that I'm getting him mixed up with John Van Fleet because I know John Paul Leon's work yeah. from comics, definitely. But there are, unless I'm really really wrong, which I might be, that there are. You could say some of the things we've been saying about John Paul Leon's art about uh, John. Uh, is it John Van Fleet uh, or James Van Fleet? I'm- do you even I have know who picture, I mean? I have an is it art a real style person? in my head, but it's a very different art style. I, yeah, um, I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm gonna. Ha- I'm gonna have to look into it. But I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll have a look and see. I'll have a look and see. But I don't know how easy these books oh, are okay. to get, and they're probably in newer, newer, um, newer editions by now. But I will. Ha- I will. If if I possibly you, can, I'll try and get some yeah. you know scans some titles, or something. Yeah. Um, Shall hmm. I tell you about Moon Knight now? Um, yeah, did you have on. any comics to talk about or is it literally just me lecturing you about comics I have not been uh, reading, I, I watched the first couple of episodes of Runaways, I'm looking oh, forward okay. to the Cloak and Dagger series, I, I, I haven't really read any comics I, 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 keep, I keep dipping in but nothing's super excited me but I don't think that's the fault of comics, I think it's just that I've, <laughs> I'm tired I, you know? I, I get to that point and I, but I do usually find like what I need is to find a series that that surprises me or gives me something, yeah. Um, Moon yeah. Knight, the Jeff Lemire, Lemire, Lemire. Um, I'm going to say Lemire. I'm going to say Lemire. Jeff I Lemire. Don't know. Um, yeah, Lemire. He's so there was a series. It's there's it's collected in three volumes. I don't know how many issues it actually ran to, um, but the whole thing is collected in these three volumes. I picked them up in a recent Comicsology sale. Um. The main series artist mm-hmm. is Greg Smallwood uh, with Jordi Belair on colours. Um, oh, see, I literally only knew... All I knew about Greg Smallwood was that he drew the Airboy book with James Robinson that uh, upset a lot of friends of mine. But I... Yeah, apparently. Yeah. Is that him? Um, I didn't read that book. Um I had no. I don't like. I'm, I do not enjoy the writing of James Robinson, so I didn't read that book. Um, but um, All right. I keep whacking myself in the head because I wave my hands around a lot when I talk, and I'm not used to having big bulky headphones on. Um, <laughs> and so I was not familiar with his work at all. And I and I have to admit, I went in with this gut thing of like not wanting to like it, of like wanting to not like it. But he's really good. Mm. <laughs> he is a very good artist. Like he's um he's in that uh there's a school of artists around at the moment who just seem to have bubbled up in the last five years in American comics, um, who all uh have that very strong Alex Toth influence. There um so it's like um Evan Shaner, um Chris Sumney's been around for ages but but he's um yeah made sort of his style 
kind of crystallised in the last five years into this sort of style as well of like um, and Greg Smallwood is one of is in that school very much of, of this sort of um, uh, very so it's a very classic American comics look of, of like sort of 60s and 70s American adventure comics look more and more in the adventure vein than mm. like the superhero vein maybe you know, um, with you know lantern jawed men and, uh, but Tonsi Tonsi Zonjic yeah. kind of one of those guys. I've said that completely wrong. Probably, yeah, he's in yeah, that, I know, that yeah, area. I know what you mean. It's got a, it. It fits with uh, it fits with those old school illust- illustrators as well. Yeah, you, you, oh, Mal- that people are loving. Yeah, very sharing much like the old magazine and commercial illustration style. Yeah, and he's um, but yeah. he's also got. Like a very good, uh, he's a he he's a very he's a versatile stylist. I would say, like he's a, so he's able to, um, which suits this comic because it's about a man with uh, a dissociative identity disorder or multiple personality disorder, mm-hmm. and um, and he keeps sort of switching between understandings of reality and. So in the first volume, you know, uh, Smallwood's ability to drastically change mood and style uh, really helps with that, especially with when like the figure work and the you know the actual drawing is so consistent. the The way that then everything's rendered changing has is a, has quite a powerful effect, while without losing like consistent storytelling. Um. And then, yeah. but then in the second volume, is when we actually start seeing things from the point of view of his different personalities, and um, one of them is so the main personality that we're following along continues to be drawn by Greg Smallwood, but then uh, that's Mark Spector. But then Stephen Grant, which is one of his personalities, also the name of a very good comic book writer, but is drawn by Wilfredo Torres. Yeah. Uh, Jake Lockley, which is his uh, cab driver personality, is drawn by Franca- Francesco Francavia. And then... Oh, right, cool. Yeah. Very different and style, then, there's a personality that lives in a manga-inspired space adventure who is drawn by James Stokoe. Fighting a fleet oh. of space wolves for the control of the moon. Are these no. still all coloured colored by... No. Um, all right, because that... Uh, yeah, Torres I can't imagine how that would work. by Michael Garland, and then Frank Avere and Stokoe colour themselves, um, as you would expect. Yeah, and um Yeah, it's, it's... I mean, as you can imagine, like, that's a lot of fun. Like, I'm a big James Stokoe fan anyway, so the James, the James Stokoe bits are my favourite mm. because it, they're awesome. Like, it's... Um, it's sort of a Star Warsy, th- like he's he's a, a pilot of the of the Moon Knight one, and you know, fighting Star Wolves, and it's uh, it's very funny and very like stylish and everything. Um, yeah, I've, I'm kind of I'm realizing I'm, I'm I, I said a lot of the stuff I wanted to say about this 
in a chat with Dan Hill on Ma- Mastered on the other week, and now I, <laughs> yeah, and now I'm I, and he's like, yeah. so so now it's gone out of my head. <laughs> the um, well, was so was. I'm thinking about it, and I'm thinking of an old. I'm pretty sure it was a Gene Colan drawn um, Avengers comic or Avengers reprint where they were changing up the roster. It's from years and years and years ago, obviously. And the first real experience I had of Moon Knight was um, all of these different superheroes were summoned to Avengers Mansion to see about drawing up a new roster. And at that point, it seemed to me that Jake Lockley was just an identity. Like, it was just his... I think what I'm getting at is, how long has he actually had... A mental illness. Um... Uh, disorder because in th- that was definitely where Bendis went with it in the series he did with Alex Malieve but I don't know if it goes all the way back I don't know if that do actually I, goes right? whether he was just a master of disguise I before or something and... <clears throat> I'm reasonably certain it was established before Bendis did it because Bendis was riffing on that and did something else as well didn't he he had that he had all of the Avengers as personalities in his head as well, didn't he? Yeah. yeah, he thought he was teaming up with them, <laughs> but, yeah. he, but he he wasn't. Yeah, it was it was a bit odd, and it was kind of ultimately it was played like a bit of a visual gag, which made me feel a little bit. Yeah, just because there doesn't seem to be any consistency to the to the way his particular yeah. condition is handled, but that's that's um well, yeah, and, that's comics and, and health. mainstream comics and. Yeah, I'd, continuity in mental health, isn't it? I think it's this, the same thing probably happens with Legion was, as um, well. So yeah, I don't know when that happened. To be honest with you, I, I, like I, I get the impression mm. it happened. It's it's a historic thing, but yes, I don't think it was. I think in the original sort of conception of the character, it wasn't a thing. It was just that he uh, has lots of identities, you know, a secret. Because he was kind of a riff on Batman. He was another riff on yeah. Batman or The Shadow, wasn't he, Yeah, very he, much really? so. Like... And then, uh, yeah, somewhere along... I, I don't know who made that evolution. But but the thing about this version, this Jeff Lemire version, I will say is, like, it's... Uh, it feels like an actually sort of sensitive and, uh, you know, an attempt to, to take a an a properly realistic approach to that of like what does that mean then for this character you know and um mm. yeah it's it it kind of i think you know uh you will already know this but people listening to this did not necessarily see that conversation on mastodon and i have to remind myself of that um mm-hmm. i do feel like mm-hmm. it so the the third volume goes back to uh smallwood drawing everything um mm-hmm. and it suffers from that uh, Marvel short series syndrome, uh, where I mm-hmm. feel I feel like reading it, I felt like the first two issues of the third volume were going in one direction, and then uh, somebody said to Jeff Lemire, "Actually, uh, you're not selling enough. Uh, you've got, you know, uh, you need to wrap this up now." You know, we're not going to just cancel you, but you need to bring this to your to whatever ending you had in mind. You need to you need to bring that up. You need to do mm. that now, and so then it just sort of does that. 
uh, over the next three issues. And um, so it's a bit unsatisfying. And it kind of, I felt like uh, there were certain things. There are certain things that are raised, you know, I questions and the ideas around, you know, his condition that are raised and never really answered or never really explored properly. Um, but it is, you know, it's very good, uh, and and it, yeah, it's nice to see something like this actually. Because um, one of the things about superheroes, about the iconography of of them, is they're actually really well suited to exploring this kind of thing. So, so it's really oh, nice yeah. to see somebody actually doing that. <laughs> uh, you know. Yeah, I think it's um, it's just it's not it's not necessarily interesting to. It's possibly it's possibly that people have felt like it's not really interesting. To do any research into this stuff and try and because the the cinematic versions yeah. of these conditions are what people are familiar with and they've got certain um, characteristics and stuff that that lend themselves to storytelling in quite a superficial but exciting way and I guess and they've got away with not it's the same with race and everything else isn't it they've got away with doing yes. a very broad <laughs> taking a very broad approach to this stuff in the past. Um, I don't know, unless you're Grant Morrison yeah. doing Batman, of course. Uh, but um, I, I um, you, uh, I, I had to check. It's not, it's not that I didn't trust you, but I uh-huh. read Airboy, so and I was like, I'm sure it wasn't him. I know his name from somewhere. Uh, Airboy oh, was, was Greg Hinkle, who I hadn't seen on anything before. It's much oh, more cartoony okay. than, um, and I might even be wrong that it's oh. Greg. It might. Oh not my god, be, I feel. But like it's Hinkle. Do you know? Do you know why I? I was so convinced it's because I swear I remember someone making a joke about the fact that at some point the because Airboy's a self-insert comic isn't it like the um and someone making a joke about yeah. the fact that at some point he the the artist character is naked and he draws himself with a very large penis and 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 the yes, joke he really was, does ah oh, but his name's Smallwood but then it yeah. But then that doesn't make any sense if it wasn't him. Oh gosh, okay. No, let me make let me make sure it might it might be that they were yeah. both yeah they're both Gregs. That's what it is. In that they're case, very very different in style. That case, I, the the I, art on I, I am so sorry, Mister Smallwood, that I went into this comic wanting to <laughs> you know pre- prejudiced against you. Oh, sorry. I'm I'm sorry that I'm sorry that you yeah. had such a tentative start to it. It's um. The the artist on okay. Airboy is actually really good, but it's a much more cartoony um, style. And what struck me is, because um, I no, I didn't read all of it, but I read the first two issues. And as I was reading it, I was thinking, it was one of two comics where I was I read it and thought, well, that seems a little bit off, but okay, okay. I think I trust the writers, I think I trust the creators, um, and. It was that right. strange fruit was the other one, where my initial reaction to them was one thing, and then when I saw how, like, how people reacted to them, it made me re-examine You're... my sense of discomfort because I'm I'm one of those people who feels like well it's it's okay to it's okay for things to make you feel uncomfortable as long as yeah. it's being done deliberately and and. Um, 
yeah then then i went back to both of them and they were roughly the same time but the interesting thing about the first issue of Airboy is it's the second issue that caused um the biggest impact right. that made the biggest impact because of the scene in the uh in the uh, there's a scene in a bar that um fetishizes and kind of uh mocks right. trans people or transvestites i'm not sure actually in memory because it feels like a li- it feels like way longer ago than it actually was it was in 2015 i think but in the first issue there's actually a scene where he and the other um he and the artist james robinson and the artist are having sex with a cartoonishly yeah. fat woman a cartoonishly overweight woman that as i was reading it i was thinking this this doesn't feel right this feels really, really weird, but nobody seems to have picked up on it at all. And there are people who are better at noticing stuff like this than me. So I guess I, 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 hmm. I don't know. It it was straight. So then, when the second issue made the impact it did, I was like, yeah, the whole thing's just weird. It's just right. And I I totally understood why. I totally under. I kind of understood why James Robinson thought it was okay, because he clearly saw it as I am tearing yeah. myself to pieces in this. Therefore I am the butt of every one but of these actually, jokes, which is completely yes. not the case at all. It's not how it comes across at all, which I think is a, I think that's something that that's something that especially white, especially male, especially straight but, writers. Yeah, very much so. I do. Yeah, I've never, ever heard a single thing about Airboy that make that, that doesn't make me want to avoid it. Like the fucking plague. In fact, it's kind of, well, it's not good that it upset all of those people, but for me personally, and my journey is the most important <laughs> journey, um, it was the point it, it was the point at which I really sort of saw the problem with um, middle-aged, middle-aged white dude um, na- navel-gazing. Because yeah. I fucking love that genre. You know, it's, well, of course. It, it, yeah. it resonates with me, you know. Um and it had never occurred to me up until that point that it has that much splashback on literally everyone else. Yeah. Like, and and that's also when I started real. That's also when it became really apparent to me that, like, yeah, what everyone else has been saying that that there's there you know there are plenty of these already. Yes. Um, <laughs> really became. It's, um, it's clear. Still- it's still the most one, you know, one of the most popular genres, though, isn't it? Like, yeah, I, I, I could... it makes me feel very weird because it means I can't enjoy Sideways anymore, um, <laughs> and um, and I I watched an Anomalisa, um, oh god, maybe about six months or a year after it, and I think that I love Charlie Kaufman, Charlie Kaufman's writing, okay. And the way the way his narratives work, the way they loop in on themselves, and 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 the story looks at itself quite a lot. It's very pretentious, but I I love it. I think it's great. But I couldn't get past that that element of it that it is still it is still basically a, a story about a middle aged white man who it's enti- It's have you seen Anomalisa? I have not. I know. I know all about it. I know. It's, like, yeah. It's a beautiful looking. It's a beautiful film. Beautiful looking, but it it goes one stage further because it's all puppet. uh, Because it's all like animated. Yeah. Um. 
if they were doing it on purpose, it'd kind of be okay. It'd kind of be okay, but it isn't just it isn't just a male point of view, a middle aged male point of view. Literally, you see everything the way he sees everything. Yeah, and I um I actually I appreciated it personally. I appreciated it, and it made me feel very. I got very um, agitated, and I'm not going to say it triggered me, but it it um, it it. There's a mental health element to it, yeah, that really resonated with me. But I don't think that's what they were getting at. Okay. In the in the the central character, the 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 um, gimmick or the the way he's uh, he he's talking at a conference. Yeah. Um, and he's the guest of honor at a conference and he gives the keynote and basically he has an affair with one of the people, one of the women who's at the conference. Um, and the, the way the story is told and the way it's all presented, she's the only person who doesn't talk in his voice or some yes. version of his voice. Um, and, um, and that's why he finds her interesting. Like, yeah. but, and it, it seems pretty clear and the way it can be criticized and critiqued that that like he finds her interesting because he can't immediately guess what she's going to say right like she's she's interesting to him because she's not completely predictable to him which she is, is exotic yeah which is a very egotistical perspective mm-hmm. yeah. but at the same time that's how i experience the world a lot of the time <laughs> not not the perspective and I, I guess it's how we all experience the world but obviously like not that I find people boring or anything like that but I find it difficult not to be thinking about what's driving what they're saying why are they saying that thing like and putting myself in well why would I be saying that thing and okay. and, and and every and at that point it seems like I have to explain to myself why people are the saying the things they're saying and whatever you know you know my issues yeah, with yeah. socializing and stuff like that it's it's a constant it's a constant puzzle and so i could totally relate to that aspect of it and i found it quite unnerving okay and it was really effective but i don't think they were trying to say that he was not autistic i think they were trying to say that that people had become boring to him which right. is is a completely different message from what i took from it i don't know okay. anyway yeah but Greg Smallwood drew the Dream Thief, which is I knew I'd seen his work before, which was a, okay. um, I think it was a Dark Horse series about. It, it was another one of those high concept, would make a great TV show, ideas. Right. But it was about um, a guy who I think he inherits a mask or something from his dad who's in prison, and he puts oh. it on and then he wakes up. And uh, somewhere else. I think I remember you reviewing this. Yeah, yeah. And having murdered someone who deserved to be murdered sort of thing. I do remember you reviewing this. And you liked this a lot. Yeah, and it was mainly Greg Smallwood's art. It's amazing. It was really, really, like, I recommend. I recommend Moon Knight to you then, sir. I think you would like it. I think um, it's, yeah, his art gets a good showing you know in the, um and and then you know the guest art in the second volume is is really nice and you know and it's an interesting story that's got it's a it's a new spin on the over self-examinating uh 
man genre yeah. in its own way because it is very much a guy <laughs> talking to himself like quite literally for a lot of the the book <laughs> yeah um, okay that sounds uh, good and um yeah I, uh but 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 he is he is explicitly jewish so so he's not so we're at least busting a certain amount of the you know the the, the wasp domination at least uh, I I think Jewish men self-examining middle-aged Jewish men self-examining <laughs> themselves is kind of a healthy part of the genre. Do, do, do you think so? <laughs> maybe, maybe, possibly. I guess. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm actually yeah, just looking up at my my, my DVD collection and that's like <laughs> the the Cohen's section. Yeah. Oh gosh, yeah. <laughs> um, but yes, it's. Uh, it, it, yeah, I I really I did really enjoy Moon Knight. As I say, I, I felt like it ended a bit quick, but it's yeah, that's a good comic. So there you go. If you to build your in, you know, I'm 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 trying to subtly you know give this recording a narrative and a, a, a sort of a, a conclusion of um and I'm not drawing attention to that uh, <laughs> that I think you know if you need sort of some things to give you some enthusiasm for the genre, I think. Creatures of the Night may do that for you. I think. Um, what did? What else did I talk about? Black Magic. You should definitely be reading Black Magic. Yeah, I need to pick that up. And Kaiju Max. Kaiju Max. I tell you what, that's probably my biggest recommendation mm. um, because that it because it was such a revelation to me. Like that that um, in the last sort of little while, like the the three series that have really sort of reinv- reinvigorated me. Like as I was starting to sort of lose interest a little bit in comics again or because I, mean, I never really fully do disengage but I, I what the feeling you've been talking about I've had you know I have that feeling sort of maybe a lesser degree from time to time hmm. but the three series that really sort of bumped me back in are um Harrow County and the Sixth Gun that we talked about last time yeah and Kaiju Max um it's uh, and um yeah, but just because it's just refreshing, it's you know, it's uh, it, it reminds you of like of what it is about, and it's hard to sort of put into words while talking about the thing, like. But when you read it, it reminds you of what it is about comics as a medium that is so good, mm. and um, you know that it, it because it's good, you know, on top of you know the the fun stuff about the the you know the the concept. Um, and on top of the fact that you know it's very pretty, like it, the artwork is lovely, um, it's just really good comics, comic book storytelling. Like it's really, you know, it's just it's really well done. It's really it's a really well told story, and and in the and well told in comics form. And so yeah, yeah, that sounds awesome. Mm. I will. There's that, and I. Uh, when we were talking about Astro City, it made me realise that I do have to, I do have to stop putting off my reread of Strike Force Morituri, which I've wanted to do for oh. years. Which was a Brent Anderson. The first twenty issues of that were drawn by Brent Anderson. That's how I know his artwork. Oh, it was, okay. I don't know if you ever read it. It was weird. No, I, we that's talk- that's one of those ones where I've always heard people talk about it, and I've never read it. We should we should definitely talk about it sometime. And also, um, there's yes, a, a, a comic convention in Portsmouth in the new year, and there it's is. made me want to want to go back and 
find my Louise Simonson stuff, which listening to um, Jay and Miles explain the X Men regularly makes me want to do anyway. But I, um, I'm thinking of coming to that as a punter. Um, yeah. It's, it's literally like it's on the fifth and sixth, and and Amanda's birthday is the eighth, so that weekend may be booked for me. Yeah. Um, but if it isn't, I I think I'm I'm gonna yeah I think I'm gonna go to that. I think I I've, I'm definitely like this year. I'm feeling like I don't want to exhibit at anywhere near as many conventions this coming year, and I didn't do a lot this year. Um, but the idea of like looking at that guest list. Mm. The idea of going to going as like paying for a ticket and going to some panels and and doing all the stuff that I used to do at conventions before mm. I was stuck behind a table the whole time sounds really nice. Oh yeah, and is is that the first time Tess Fowler's been at a UK show? Or has she done a Thought Bubble? She was at a Thought Bubble last year. Um, I um I don't know if that I don't know if that was the first one, and I think she's done stuff in between. But yeah, yeah, she was at Thought Bubble last year. Because um, I, I haven't met her, but I like her. Yeah, on Twitter. So I, um, <laughs> yeah, the same. I, I, I have met her, but like it was a few seconds over a table. I said hello, and I didn't, didn't introduce me. I, we do follow each other on Twitter, but she follows a lot of people. I'm not convinced that she would. You know, if you said to her, uh, I'm not convinced she would know my name. Put it no. That way. Um, but uh, yeah, she's she's an awesome person, it seems like. And um, but that lineup for that convention looks stunning. Anyway, pretty like, good so far. And it's little... like they've barely started. So yeah, Portsmouth Comic Con. So that's that's got me a little bit excited because it's attainable. It's very close by here, and mm. I'm not very Southamptony, so I probably won't get beaten up the second I turn up there, which is good. <laughs> It's scary how much Southampton that. and Portsmouth people feel about each other. It's it's quite weird, like because and when, when I've talked to people, like like, are you still there? Yeah, I'm here. Cool. Oh, cool. Oh, I think there was a background noise that's just gone away. Oh, oh. Um, but uh, yeah, when I've talked to people from your neck of the woods about that, they sort the the way they talk about it is as if oh yeah well everywhere has this everywhere you know has r- rivalry rivalry with the next town or whatever no no <laughs> they, they, no the, you, people in Brighton don't talk about people from Worthing like we we no <laughs> no it's not I don't think it's as bad in most places down here I, you might get it with odd towns up north I think but the, no it's pretty um, aggressive and. It was explained to me recently. I thought I'd got to the bottom of it, and it was something to do with some uh, Dockers strike or something a okay. hundred years ago. Uh, but um, I was talking to a colleague of mine who is a Southampton person from way back, and he said that he had recently read uh, that actually no, that's just it's entirely football. The all of the other reasons are just like urban myths that the football people have come up with to try and explain why it isn't just about football. But no, it's pretty much a football rivalry thing. That sounds entirely plausible, actually. Yeah. Because because I tell you what does happen: you talk to a certain kind of bloke in Brighton and mention Crystal Palace. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I mentioned in passing that I lived in Crystal Palace for a few years, and and. Oh my goodness! The, <laughs> it's the weird, invective. isn't it? 
and yeah, it's it's to do, and that that's entirely football based, and it's yeah, the, the football fans are are strange. They're they're a funny lot. Well, but it is it is weird to think. To, talking about it, it is weird to think that like, as much as cultural change feels like it happens too slowly, and yeah. as much as it sometimes feels impossible to attain it, there there was a a shift which yeah. I think was probably largely about tourism or largely about how we appeared overseas or whatever. There was a shift in, what, the early 90s or the mid-90s that said, no, no, enough's enough with this, the hooliganism thing. Yeah. Um, and it, it, it does it does feel quite abstract talking about football in this way now because there are only pockets of it now. But that was... That was the whole thing in the eighties and nineties, wasn't true. it? That yeah, we grew up with was like um, it wasn't all it wasn't all clubs and it wasn't all football fans, obviously. But football hooliganism was a regular, like, and major problem in this country. Yeah, uh, my my class at school was fifty percent Millwall, fifty percent Crystal Palace. Oh my gosh! Okay, yeah, <laughs> and, and the fifty percent Millwall, like, they were very different. <laughs> Very different, I imagine. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Anyway, not, not a lot of hair. <laughs> the, um, we... But it would. But yeah, football is weird. Like, imagine, right? Imagine growing up, like, uh, and you know, as a young person, forming like this sort of excessive emotional attachment to what to a an institution that that actually is just like an institution that mm. has a complete sort of revolving door revol- cast of people working within it but then but but forming this attachment to the the name and the colors and the the sort of the the branding of that uh, I can't that, get my that, head around it at all. That, yeah, that you then follow into adult life and and get into insane arguments with people about it, as if as if somehow one of them is inherently better than another one. It's it's so weird. <laughs> it seems completely irrational and fantastical yeah. that people would do that to me. It does. I, Justice League uh, was a lot of fun, by the way. <laughs> I really enjoyed Justice League. Um, yeah, uh, yeah. So thank you to David for that conversation. It's worth mentioning, I touched on it in the, the preamble to the preamble episode to this um, a little bit, that at the point when David and I recorded that episode, um, I was really burned out on podcasting. The reason it's taken so long for that conversation to happen, uh, not to happen, but to be edited into a form that I could share with you, um, is that I've just not been very well. You probably can't hear it, but my voice, I'm in the middle of a stinking cold and I'd only just shaken off a cold that I'd had since not long after we'd recorded that episode. But up till that point, I hadn't recorded anything in a while and it was because I was just feeling really burned out on all of it. Like, you can hear it a little bit. Everything's so, like, just dumb at the moment. It isn't rubbish. There are loads of really good comics out there. There are loads of really good people talking about shit. But, like there's just so much dumb as well just so much of it and and some of that dumb's nasty and some of that dumb is institutional and long-term cultural bollocks but mostly it's just dumb just so dumb and mean and dumb um i feel like i'm really adding adding to it by articulating it all this way but anyway 
so at the time that David and I had that two and a half hour conversation, I think that's just how much we recorded. I think we were talking like for half an hour either side of it as well. Um, I had didn't really think I'd want to talk about anything, especially not comics. So thank you so much, David, for that. Um, David and Max Barnard and um, a few other people, but really those two have been the most consistent contributors recently, um, have kind of kept me alive on this side of things uh, when I might not have been asked otherwise. So that's really good. Thanks to those guys. They are brilliant. Um, thanks to you, listener, for listening. And uh, hopefully we'll have another episode for you soon. Bye-bye. <laughs>